0: Your health is our priority. Each series, it's our goal to make sure that we provide you with experts and guests that offer multiple perspectives so that you feel supported, empowered, and less alone.
1: Like the work we do? Buy us a cup of coffee or tea. You can leave us a tip over at coffee.com/slash the hip podcast, which is ko-fi.com/slash the HIP podcast or with the link in our show notes.
2: When you buy us a cup of coffee, you not only support the work we do, but also gain access to early releases and downloadable resources. Again, that's coffee.com slash the hip podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health It's Personal. Today, we met with the wonderful, positive, and inspiring Rachel Chisholm. She's a licensed therapist and coach who helps people rewrite their story, heal from trauma and beliefs holding them back, and have better relationships. We love her Instagram, Therapy with Rach, as a great spot to find resources and spot on information on mental health. And we're so thankful that she joined us today to share all of her wonderful wisdom to help us better understand and support those with depression.
1: It's such a great introduction to kind of experiencing and expressing your own thoughts and feelings about depression, whether it's for your own mental health, or for supporting someone else that you care about. And it's really exciting, because Karen actually has been following her on Instagram for a long time. And we've been trying to collaborate with her for so long, and we finally got to do it.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. She is really inspiring and spot on with her wisdom and she just gets it and it's and she's also really fun and interesting to talk to. Um we started our depression series with the fabulous doctors Bonnie Kaplan and Julia Ruckledge and they explained to us how the nutrients that we get kind of impact our mental health and that was so amazing to hear and think about, but it's really next level type of thinking. I mean, it's really basic as far as like (laughs) what you eat makes you feel better. But it was, you know, it was a little bit more to consider. But I love that she just really like broke down like this is what depression is and this is how it's related to anxiety. And these are the ways that you can talk to people. And it was just really practical and awesome advice.
2: Yeah. If you're looking to learn more about depression and reflect on your own mental health, this is a great place to start.
1: And I loved that We focused on so many practical things that we can do, uh, and sometimes that means not having the answer, whether it's, you know, I don't know what I need or I don't know what I'm feeling. But the fact that we're kind of putting that into motion, we're talking about it or thinking about it, um, we're giving it a voice. Um, Same thing for if you're supporting someone. uh, Maybe they don't know what they need and you don't know how to help them or understand, but giving them that space, just letting them know that you're there should they need anything um, is, you know, the way to go instead of trying to solve everything for them or tell them, you know, well this worked for me. This is how I experienced that. Um, instead of doing any of those things, it's just if you can think of anything that you need, please let me know and I just love those little tips because it helps so much.
0: Yeah, I love the neutral statement I noticed mm-hmm. or I notice. I noticed that you've been a little bit more tired this week or I noticed that you seem a little stressed out about your schoolwork or you know whatever those things are it's it's not judgmental it's just an observation and it gives people the opportunity to um, respond and maybe share and like you said Sean give a voice to how they're feeling
1: I do that for myself too when I'm not sure what's going on or if I notice something I'm like even I don't say it out loud but You're like Sean, <laughs> in my yeah. head I'm like I noticed this thing <laughs> yeah I noticed I'm feeling tense about this.
2: Yeah, well, and also, you know, we didn't talk about this in this episode, but we've definitely had these discussions where our mental health impacts our physical health. And I know a lot of times I will reflect inward and go, oh, I'm noticing that I'm having these physical symptoms. What is contributing to that? Mm -hmm. And it's often something that I need to take care of with my mental health.
0: It's like our episode with Rita Glenn when she said, you know, be a detective. You can be a detective for someone else or for yourself.
1: I loved seeing all those memes and tweets about, like, me and then my therapist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, who therapizes the therapist? Yes.
1: <laughs> and, like, everyone's like, my therapist, like, used me as their therapist today. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's always funny when I'm on with my therapist, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And she's like, I'm okay. And I'm like, all right. Back to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's the opposite
0: for me I never want to talk about myself so I'm always like hey how's it going how have you been feeling you know are the twins growing and then like 15 minutes in she's like Karen yes.
1: I just saw yesterday there was this big thread on Twitter of all these um these young ladies who are like my therapists like seeing through my tactics and the others are like I need a therapist who knows my bullshit <laughs> yeah <laughs> they need to see through my tactics <laughs>
2: It's hard for some people to imagine talking to a stranger. Like I'm so comfortable talking to a stranger about my problems because it's so it's just so much easier and it actually helps, you know, obviously. Um you can actually say what you're thinking. I mentioned that a little bit in the episode about how it can feel kind of
0: daunting choosing a therapist and also once you do that first conversation takes a bit and then if you don't feel like it went great thinking about having to choose someone else, you really get comfortable so much faster than you could possibly imagine. And if you are well-suited, it's the greatest relationship.
2: And it's definitely annoying when you have to try someone out and it doesn't quite work and then you have to do another one and you have to relay all of that information again to them. But I remember there was a time I was going through that in Sydney And I love talking to a stranger about my problems. It just takes a couple of sessions to tell all the stories and get to, you know, get started. And I jump right in. But I remember I had like three back to back sessions with different therapists to find the right one. And I I just sat would sit down and be like, okay, so this happened five years ago that led to this. And then this happened. And this is how I felt about it. And then I had this, you know, depressive phase. And then this happened. And then, you know, and here we are. So let's just go. Let's get started. sufficient.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's so scary. And sometimes there's trust issues. And sometimes they lose our trust. And we just have to remember, you have to find the right fit. And you might have to go through a struggle. Sometimes you luck out and you find the perfect person, but, um, you know, not Everyone is suited to work with you or with each other. So I think it's important to just remember, even in that process, once you make that big step of going to therapy, it might be some growth. You know, there might be some growth involved there, too, in finding the right fit.
0: Yeah, if you don't feel the connection right out the gate or even like after a couple times, that's not. You know, you want to make sure you find someone that you feel comfortable talking to because even if maybe not right now you're not going through a really challenging time, um, someday down the road you will be and you want to have a person that you feel great about there with you.
1: And I have so many friends who have uh, broken up with their therapists or they go as far as they can with that particular therapist because that's their special specialty, right? Um, they're really good in this one area, but maybe they've had enough growth there and so they need to find someone else who specializes in another area. So I think it's totally valid um, to just remain flexible and open.
2: And therapists all understand this too. So, you know, they have an open mind. And if you can have an open mind, it's at least worth giving a try. And what I love about Rachel is she just has such an open and positive attitude. And so please, everyone grab a cup of tea and enjoy.
1: Health is harmony. When you're aligned to everything you believe in, is when you feel that harmony and you feel peace.
3: Trying to get to the root cause of things—that is just so much to learn. Can you be
2: present in those moments in your life that mean the most?
1: Because health—it's personal.
0: Welcome, Rachel. You're a licensed marriage and family therapist. You specialize in working with women and young girls who struggle with their relationship with food, and you're also a certified parent-child. Interaction therapist, and you work with teens and young adults facing anxiety and depression. This is really important work. What are the rewards of working with this group?
3: Oh my goodness, probably more than I could come up with um, in just one podcast. But (laughs) I just feel so honored, actually, and really fortunate that I essentially a lot of my job is getting to hear people's stories. I just love that. I feel really lucky that that is something I made a career out of, and can go to school for to get um, the clinical part in as well. And yeah, I, re- I love that part of my job is, is hearing their stories.
2: This is such important work. And something that I know we'd love to do is kind of just dive right into the science. Would you mind explaining the difference between clinical and circumstantial
3: depression? Yeah, of course. I think that is something really valuable for us to just keep in mind as we go through life, because there will be circumstances that absolutely Um, really makes sense. And it would be appropriate to have depression sometimes. As a result, when we lose somebody, grief can look a lot like depression often, which is understandable. Circumstantial depression is usually something where someone might come into therapy and say, you know, I'm going through a divorce, or I recently lost somebody, um, or there's a pandemic, I'm really struggling. And they have this kind of insight, at least to, hey, this is probably why I'm feeling this way, which is actually really important for us to, to kind of have that sense. I think clinical depression is a bit more challenging because that can be sometimes where life looks great and I don't want to get out of bed in the morning and I don't know why. And that can, that can be scary. I think that can add anxiety uh, to the mix because we can do a lot of, well, I should be happy, right? I should be you know, really grateful every day, but I don't feel that way. So that's the most common difference I usually see for people um, when they come into therapy.
2: Absolutely. I think you're right about the grief. There are things that kind of can come up as symptoms of depression, um, but maybe you don't know how to treat it or what your diagnosis is or what's going on at all, you know, emotionally. Right. Why is it important to make this distinction? And also, how have you seen this last year compound feelings for those who are already at risk?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that loss in general was such a powerful theme last year. So that's really was what a lot of people I think were feeling was loss um, and calling it depression, which again, it looks really similar, it can feel similar in the body. And the same words we might use to describe loss, we might use to describe depression. Um, And and that's okay. And I don't know that it's incredibly important. I think, again, it just, the way I usually work with anxiety or depression is can we use it as information? Can we just let it be information that something's going on with us? And that can just be an invitation to take care of ourselves better, to give us that space for that feeling. You know, ultimately all emotions are, are energy in motion. They want to move. Okay. So we run from that. We're afraid of that. But really, when we let them move, when we give space to just, yeah, I feel really depressed or these are the ways my depression comes out. The why doesn't have to be as important. I understand why we want to know why. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Definitely do. Yes. <laughs> right. I like that because I think that's why it's so helpful. It doesn't fix it. But when we talk about it with someone, anyone, even if it's just maybe out loud to ourselves, Absolutely. <laughs> acknowledge how- it.
3: Yes. Yes, it's the processing
2: part that's helpful. Especially during this last year, there's been a lot of isolation. And I know that that can bring on some of our feelings of depression, especially if we have experience with that. Um, And some people are experiencing it for the first time, you know, over this last year, because it's so unprecedented. When we're talking about our young people, which we know you specialize in, how can we kind of recognize when it's just typical teen stuff? or pandemic stress, depression, you know, how can we kind of differentiate those things, so we know how to help them?
3: Yeah, that's such a good question. And one that I think parents everywhere, probably, if they hadn't asked before, started asking that last year. um, and You know, my short answer is, I don't know that you always can. I think working with adolescents that, you know, any therapist would probably um, relate to this, it's really hard to tell. Um, It is really hard to tell. (laughs) Again, just making space for, well, one, I think when parents just pay attention, that's actually really powerful. So just paying attention, you know, what is my client, is my child's behavior changing? Are there circumstances probably contributing to it? Because remember, just because it's a struggle doesn't mean we're not managing. It doesn't mean we're not coping.
1: Yeah. Uh,
3: We don't like the struggle, which I get, but that doesn't mean we're not doing a good job just because it's hard.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I think some people can misjudge how you're feeling or how you're doing or, you know, what's going on, because either you're feeling worse than it looks or you look worse than it feels, you know. And so I think just recognizing
3: some signs and the people around you is good, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Definitely, if there's safety issues, right, that's something that we have to pay attention to right away. So, any self harm behavior, any kind of suicidal thoughts, those are, um, you know, definitely big red flags we have to watch. But I also think sad days are allowed, right? If we don't assign meaning to to make that mean we're not doing a good job handling something, that doesn't mean we're not handling it. We just don't like the sad days, so right, we tell right. ourselves like a story about it, right? About what that must mean about me that I don't want to get out of bed today or my motivation's
1: really low.
0: And we don't like when other people have bad days either, do we? No, we don't.
3: <laughs> we want to fix it, yeah. yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> what can also, I do?
3: <laughs> right. And especially when it's our kiddos and or people we love, yeah, we, we don't want to watch them struggle. It's hard.
1: On that note, do you have any advice for people who might be seeing someone else struggle? Um, something you know, right now that we could implement into our own practice to kind of help support them or let them know that they're not alone in feeling that?
3: Yeah, I love that question. I'm a really big believer in the power of just asking, you know, what do you need? Honestly, if you're asking a teen that I would bet 80% of the time, you're going to get a very honest, I don't know. And that's okay. But it is our own personal work. That's our responsibility to know what to learn what we need. I should say, if we don't know. So those are really good seed planting conversations. I think parents can have to just start getting that those balls rolling in your head of okay, so um, you know if you don't know what you need, let's break it down for a day. What do you need today?
1: Yeah,
3: right. What's gonna help get you through the day? And we can start there. And that is absolutely enough sometimes.
1: I love that. It reminds me of what our first guest actually said, uh, Michael Miller. He said that zooming in and zooming out can be so helpful. Like if you have this big goal or if you're trying to figure out whatever's going on, you don't have to know all of it right away. Let's zoom in. What are you, what, what are you feeling at this very moment?
3: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's zooming, really cool. right? That's what we've yeah. been doing. Zooming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all we've been doing. See?
1: Right. <laughs> the real pandemic was all the zooms we had right. along the way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> My teenager's actually been saying things like today he said, this is this was a good day or I'm feeling really stressed. I feel really great that he's able to say those things because it helps me kind of know how to help him. And it it starts it gets the conversation rolling because when they're just not saying anything, it's easy to make assumptions about what's going on.
3: Absolutely. I'm so happy to hear that, too, that he can kind of give, um, you know, words to it. And words are power. They are. So just any kind of like labeling for him and then you as mom and Karen get an opportunity to kind of really check in with what story is he telling himself about that and what it's about him, because that's where parents have some power is really directing that, I think, for their children still. But you have to know, like you said, you got to know a little bit about what they're thinking about to be able to do that.
1: I think that a lot of people still on either side of that issue um, still struggle with the stigmas around mental health. You know, from your perspective, what are some misconceptions that people have about facing depression?
3: You know, one of the positive things I think that did come out of the pandemic that we're seeing is a lot of people are asking for help. A lot more people probably ever in history have asked for help. Um, I feel like companies are even really kind of giving um, light and voice to mental health and normalizing it, which is really powerful. Really great. Yeah. One of the biggest misconceptions, I think, is that we can almost kind of will ourselves out of, um, you know, especially clinical depression. Yes. Which I really understand the appeal of that and, and the positive intention even of wanting to encourage a loved one um, to get better. But that toxic positivity kind of has been getting a lot of buzz, big buzzwords lately, I noticed on social media too. And what happens then is it ends up not being as helpful as we intended to be because the sense is, well, something must be wrong with me, that my gratitude list in the morning isn't enough right now to, you know, make me feel better. And gratitude, lists are great. Um, I love those are really nice things. But there is space for I can be grateful and have depression. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I yeah. can do
0: anything <laughs> and have depression. Yeah, <laughs> right, I exactly.
3: can brush my teeth and have depression.
1: <laughs> Chew and walk.
3: <laughs> right. So that powerful word and, you know, and just making space for that, you know, and understanding that just because somebody is struggling with depression doesn't mean they aren't trying to get better they might be trying really hard actually
1: we contain multitudes we are multifaceted we can have all of these things going on at once
0: yeah dr becky kennedy and our parenting series is a big supporter of two things are true you know two things are true this is true and this is true and and now what you know what do we do with that information
3: I love that. I think that can be so powerful when we are judging ourselves for how we feel. And we feel sometimes like we have to pick, right? Um, I saw that during the pandemic, so much people would come in with so many anxiety and depression symptoms and say, well, I shouldn't feel this way because I still have a job, Yeah. right? Or I haven't lost anyone to COVID. And I I thought, wow, that's your criteria. You're not allowed to have any other struggles because you still have a job. Um, (laughs) That that, that feels unfair, (laughs)
0: It sounds a little out there, but I think we've probably all kind of felt that way. You know, like I'm not suffering like other people are suffering.
1: Therefore, the survivor's guilt. I think that's a big thing. right? And that's valid. And the ambiguous loss that we're all feeling, too, about the things that we haven't truly lost, but we have.
3: Right. There was so much comparing (laughs) losses, right? I mean, I would have somebody come in who was just heartbroken. She wasn't going to do her graduation, right? Or senior that worked so hard, really shaming herself for feeling that loss because she's like, well, my other friend, you know, her grandma died of COVID. And well, of course, that's maybe more of a significant loss in a way. It certainly doesn't mean she wasn't feeling lost. Right.
1: Right. And on, on that note, you had kind of mentioned feeling depressed and anxious. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit more about how those are related?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I see them very much related, again, it's just kind of can we get still and maybe pause and look at that as information. It's different information the way it appears in our bodies often, but still information often. With anxiety, anxiety really is there, I say, to keep us alive in a way, right? If a bear is coming at me, I want to be anxious. Yes, I I want to know my, I want my reptile brain just in full, full mode (laughs) of run, get out of there. You need to be anxious. And I think sometimes for depression for a lot of people is also maybe a bit of an inner knowing we're not listening to in some way for us. It can take more time to get there. We notice anxiety a bit quicker in our bodies than depression. So they're similar, different. I think the biggest similarity is, can we just take that all as information? It's just information showing up in our bodies.
1: And it kind of is related to that too, I guess. Um, so sometimes we try to logic our way out of those situations. <laughs> um, but being logical is not always the best approach, because, you know, when we're, we're trying to, you know, put feelings and logic together, that doesn't always mix. Um, do you have any advice for how logic may not always be the best approach?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I know I, I do use this example a lot. So hopefully I haven't overstated it too much, but I, I do work with a lot of um, people struggling with eating disorders and eating disorders are a really difficult one for our society in general to really understand, um, which I do appreciate that, but it's that not those not helpful statements. Like we'll just eat more very logical. I understand that is the first thing that might come to someone's brain, but this is an emotional problem. And so when we try to, you know, heal emotional wounds or emotional problems with logic, it's, it's not going to fit. That's not what caused it. That's not what got us here to the problem. So it's not going to get us out of it.
1: Right. Now that's such a great way to say it.
3: And anyone with depression can probably not even count on two hands anymore. How many times people have said, you know, Oh, just try to be happy. Why didn't I think of that? I'll just try <laughs> to be happy. Right.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Insightful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We had touched on toxic positivity earlier, but would you mind just kind of saying a little bit more about that? Because that whole just feel better (laughs) situation doesn't work.
3: It doesn't. Right. And I I think it's so great that, you know, we are really opening ourselves up to learning about that a bit more, I find. And to just really go back to um, letting that person tell you what they need. The intentions are usually positive, right? These are usually people that really care about us that are kind of offering us these really logical responses.
1: They want to fix it.
3: <laughs> right. They want to fix it. And and I can, I, I do understand that, but especially when it's our children. So I have a lot of compassion for, for that. But I think, again, believing that you actually know what you need, even if you don't have the words yet. I, I kind of have those human core beliefs that I just believe to be true about everybody. And that's one of them. And it's okay if you don't know yet. And so I think just allowing space for a person can be one of the most powerful things to be a container of, you don't have to know why you're struggling right now. You don't even have to know what you need. When you do, I'm here, right? That's a really great, powerful thing to give somebody. And you don't need to do more than that necessarily because you can't fix it for them.
0: I know I've been trying to ask more questions rather than make statements. But sometimes questions can be challenging, too. Because like you said, you might not even know what you need right now. So if I'm saying, you know, what do you need? And you're
3: like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I love that, Karen. You're, and I think that's so insightful to even kind of purposely be watching yourself do that more to ask questions more than the long statements, um, especially as parents, they Probably are nicer to me than they want to be when I cut them. I'm like, nope, you get two sentences. What can you say in two sentences instead of the essay that you just <laughs> gave me? Two <laughs> parents that you work with? <laughs> yeah, your teenagers listening a long time ago. Sorry. I yeah. love that. That's amazing, and it, I think it helps us take the pressure off a little bit too. Like, and and following up with if they say I don't know, it's okay if you don't know it's okay. The, the law of the universe is not that we have to know everything. I don't know who came up with that rule, but we don't have to know everything.
0: Well, you also say that change is inevitable and growth is optional, which I think is, <laughs> is a really great, you know, it's important to know that making those changes and growing as a person, it's challenging and And you don't have to do it, but when you do, it makes a great impact. What do you think are some ways that we can help one another be part of the solution instead of part of the problem?
3: I love that. I do talk about that the growth is the work part, and it's the part where you have to go through something. You can't go around it. We can put it off and we can try to escape from it, which we do all the time in lots of little ways. Yeah, and so I think just continuing that space and conversation for normalizing that growth is really hard work. The biggest way I see that show up, that quote really come true is with divorce Um, because it's a huge change and it's a huge loss. It's life-changing. It's one of the biggest life changes that people will go through often I find. And so, but there is a allowance and, and a huge amount of growth that can come from that if we let ourselves really just get into those sad, dark, deep feelings that nobody likes to be in. People absolutely can, I think, come out of that almost better off than they ever imagined, but, or you just can change partners, right? Or you can just change addresses, right? Yeah, the change is there, but that doesn't mean you changed inside. So I just see divorce, I guess, is the most common invitation for that to to have a huge change and either choose to grow or not.
0: Yeah, I never thought of it like that, but it is really true, right? And the people that do end up having like this whole another life and they're different than they ever were before. And then there are people who just kind of hole up, right? Well, as people who love someone facing mental health problems, you know, we want to help. So how might we as parents help our young people if we know that they're really struggling? Especially for those of us who might not understand,
3: I mean, I think paying attention is actually so powerful. And we as parents, we discredit that power a lot of just noticing and paying attention and saying to them, hey, I noticed this. I noticed you're sleeping a lot more, right? You know, I noticed you're not eating very much. Whatever it is, and and bringing that to them and seeing where that goes, it's not a judgment. It's not a criticism. It's just an observation. And I see parents a lot dismissed You know, all the things that they've actually done a great job noticing about their children and that that's our I think our biggest responsibility is just to be observers of that and letting it be really normal to talk about it. Right. We don't have to pretend those things aren't happening, whether we pretend or not doesn't mean they don't they're not struggling. I love
0: that because if you say I notice something, and then if you sit there long enough, I think they might be inclined to sort of provide some insight, right? Right. <laughs> Just follow it with a long pause. Right. The hard part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. What about a friend? So you know, as we become adults, our groups are a little bit different, and you know, family maybe feels like they are invested in the people that they live with, but friends, there's kind of a different dynamic there. How might a friend approach someone, um, if they feel like they could use some help?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I actually think friends, sometimes we, um, we do allow ourselves to open up more to friends. There's, um, a bit of a safety there kind of, they're not in our everyday lives. So we might be more inclined to talk to a friend than even people in our own family, um, which I think happens. And, And I, again, for friends, especially adult friends to really kind of just put that out there of, you know, what do you need? What can I do? Right. And just instead of, you know, everything's going to be fine. Right. That's like, oh my gosh, I have to hold back sometimes in saying that to a person. It's, we're so conditioned to just want to put like a big smiley face on everything and really just kind of validating like, hey, I actually think often our responses match what we're going through so well um, that, you know, you're not crazy for feeling this way. This makes sense. That allowance is really huge instead of saying, oh, you're going to be fine or it's going to get better.
2: One of the best things about this podcast for us is all the amazing and insightful people we've met. Throughout each of our series, we've seen many common threads. That's why we created the Health It's Personal Inspiration line to celebrate our unique perspectives and let others around us know that we get it too. We teamed up
0: with artist Cloud Ramkey to help bring these common threads to life. We've all dealt with challenges in our lives that make us stronger, hence our new favorite saying, thanks for the trauma. We make sure to remind our listeners and friends that you're not alone and that it's always a judgment-free zone because that's where the best conversations start.
1: Our designs are on t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, water bottles, coffee mugs, stickers, and so much more. These are great gifts for friends, loved ones, educators, caretakers, and advocates to help show your people that you care about their health and well-being head over to bonfire.com slash the hip podcast, our website or our show notes for links to the merchandise and stay tuned for future inspirational designs and messages too.
0: So if you're someone facing depression and maybe it's new to you and this is kind of, these are new feelings maybe because of the pandemic, maybe because you're in a new situation or time in your life What are some first steps that someone can take to start that process of healing or that process of growth?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in therapy. I think that is a really great place to start. It's interesting because one thing that came up a lot I noticed during the pandemic were how many friends and family members of mine were reaching out to me to help them find a therapist because it wouldn't be appropriate for me to be theirs or their kiddos. And it seemed really challenging for people to know how to take those steps. So I think I take for granted a bit, or I am a little bit immune to just to understanding how it still is such a challenge to know how to start that. And so, you know, being kind to yourself, if it is a challenge for you, that you're not alone. that was happening constantly, it's, it's not quite the same as just picking anybody off the internet. It's such a personal, intimate relationship in a lot of ways. So I can understand why people are hesitant. And that is under... Again, rightfully so. But I think too, just understanding that it is a process, it's not going to be like, probably you come in once or twice, and have life changing results. It's mm-hmm. it is work, right? It is. I always tell people, when you go to the gym, you wouldn't work out one time. And then wonder, why isn't my body completely different? <laughs> yeah that's a right and example. It, it's the same right it takes time and it, it's it's consistency and oh that's a that's a hard word it's a big word
1: yes yeah. the hardest well part. it's
0: hard to think about just um starting with someone too and getting really deep in with a stranger like it doesn't take that long to get comfortable but it is really intimidating to start fresh with someone and then what it you know the fears like what if we don't click and then i have to relay all this information all over again
3: and maybe that can be a, um, one of the first steps to ask for help. If somebody, you do have someone in your life who wants to be there for you and kind of say, you know, I've thought about going to therapy, but I'm having a really hard time taking those steps or finding somebody. Do you know anybody that would be good? Or, you know, do you know where I could look? I think that could be a great thing to ask for help for that you might need.
1: I know a few people who are nervous to take that step, not because of what we've talked about here, but because of the stigmas professionally or socially of going to therapy? Do you have any advice for someone who is worried about the appearance of that or potential repercussions that they feel that that they'll have?
3: (laughs) So I work with a lot of um, first responders and sometimes that ends up being police officers and oh my goodness, they have, there's just such a culture there of, you know, we're not, we can't ask somebody else for help. We can't admit this is really hard work and we're traumatized all the time. Um, that's one population in particular, you know, I wish that stigma was being lifted faster is that no, they they have a really hard, difficult job. Often they are exposed to traumas and it doesn't just go away, even if they stop thinking about it when they go home. So, um, I think just knowing that there's not going to be there, you know, most likely you're going to have a therapist that is not going to ever judge you. Right, that is clinically trained to hold space for somebody. And everything's completely confidential by law. I always kind of make the joke to my clients, it's not, it's not up to me. I have to, right? It's that's something that the law holds me accountable for. And that's a good thing. The reason that is the law is because people would not feel like they can go in and talk if it wasn't confidential.
0: Yeah. So if you don't want to say anything to your friends, you don't have to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Well, what about people that don't support you? How do you set boundaries around what, you know, the, your growth and the choices that you're making for yourself, um, for people who don't understand or that perpetuate the problem?
3: Yeah, that is a hard one. We could probably do a whole other podcast about that question. Karen. So, I mean, I always say boundaries are actually, we think of them sometimes as a way to keep people out. I think they're a way to keep people in our lives. When I set boundaries, I think, what's the best way to love Rachel? How can I teach the people in my life the best way to love me? A lot of times that's going to start getting us thinking in terms of using word, what I need, when I feel really safe or great, when I feel respected, what, what does that look like? How does that show up in my relationships? And, and to always remember too, when we're setting boundaries, if it's hard, because I think that's such a big concept that we throw around that a lot of people don't fully know where to start with. Um, so I always just really encourage people to think about what's my job here and what's not. That's the first way to start thinking about boundaries. And we're not responsible for things we can't control. And so ultimately, that just puts it all back on us. I can only control myself. And if somebody else is trying to manage me or control me or tell me you know, how I should be feeling, that's usually a good time to start having that, those kind of conversations.
0: Yeah, that can be
3: really tough. It is really tough. I wish they taught a boundary class in high school. I always say that. Oh yeah. how so important and powerful. So what are some of your favorite
2: resources for people who are struggling or want to support people in the best way that they can?
3: Again, I feel like we are as a whole doing a lot better with coming up with resources and sharing those. And, and we also live in a world where, oh my goodness, podcasts like this one are right there. We have audible books we can listen to in cars. You know, I think that there's that space for being proactive and also just being able to be sad if we need to be sad. Right. Um, Accessing our own pain is resourcing. I mean, that is a resource of being able to say, like, I'm allowed to feel this way. I'm not going to try to fix it, numb it, run from it. It will pass asking for help, ask your doctor for recommendations for a therapist or any resources. We have tons of suicidal hotlines now, which is amazing. We have text um, suicidal hotlines where you just only have to text, which is, um, I used to do volunteer work for a suicide hotline here probably 12 years ago where there was no texting.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> right. So, it is expanding, which is nice and and people are really trying to meet people with where they're at, I think. For sure. And I want to
0: mention your Instagram too because your Instagram I think is so right on the money all the time. Every single thing you post, you share in your stories, it's just, it's something that it really speaks to me. So if you're looking for encouragement or support or validation on um, your Instagram, it's a great place to go.
2: I appreciate that.
3: Thank you, Karen.
2: We always like to ask our guests, what's filling your cup right now? What are you reading or listening to or doing that's lifting your spirits or inspiring you?
3: That's such a good question. Whenever someone says what fills my cup, I instantly think of time with my daughter. And I bet a lot of, I think a lot of parents would relate to this or moms, especially where it's like, sometimes I just want to be alone. I don't want anyone to talk to me. I want a break. And after I get it for 15, 15 minutes, I'll be like, oh, I kind of miss my daughter. Yeah. (laughs) I just wanted a break from now. I kind of want her back. Just two seconds. (laughs) Just give me two seconds. Right, just two seconds. Is all I need, exactly. Um, and then I'm like, okay, then, you know, she fills it up, and sometimes I need a break. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do really enjoy my alone time. I think, and and just also getting to be with people where my my therapist uh, parts of me are not turned on. I've noticed during the pandemic, I really needed that more than ever in my career to just not be a therapist wow, sometimes. Right?
0: Yeah, I bet. <laughs> That must be exhausting. Yeah,
3: I love it. I think that it was good and I tried to do it, right? I preached, but take it as information of I'm, I really am pouring more than I'm filling up. Is that what that tells me? The book I'm reading now that I love is called Doing the Work. The, the author is a psychologist. She has a great Instagram called The Holistic Psychologist. So I'm reading Doing the Work and it is a doozy of a book. It is... One of those ones that is just got so many great nuggets and you just go deeper and deeper in. But um, yeah, so it'll take me a while to read that. Exciting. Oh, I'm excited. Well, this has been so wonderful. Yeah, we can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. No, I could talk to you guys all day long. And I'm so happy it worked out where I got to have a conversation with the three of you. And yeah, I love what you're doing with your podcast and everything.
1: Same. Thank you so much.
3: Oh, my gosh. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. I'll talk soon.
1: Bye. Bye.
2: Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Health It's Personal. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for bonus episodes and new releases every Wednesday. The Health It's Personal podcast is produced by me, McKenna Udi, and hosted with the Phronesis Health Initiative team, Karen Gively and Sean Tingle. Special thanks to portrait artist Alexander, musical contributor Bernie Ramke, and to our guests and experts for their kindness and bravery in sharing their stories each week. Please listen, subscribe, engage, and send us topics we can explore that would help you on your journey.
1: Because health, it's personal.